0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Hello, flippin' flawless flashbulbs, flaunting flavors. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your <laughs> weekly quiz show and offbeat <laughs> trivia podcast. This is episode 39, and of course, I am your humble host, Karen And we are your flock of flame-throwing fledglings flabbergasted by flamingos and flan.
2: Wow. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. Uh, Before we dive into the show, Karen, a little housekeeping here. We have uh, time for another installment of...
3: Um, actually.
2: (laughs) (laughs) In last week's episode, in answer to one of your questions, I made a passing reference to uh, MPEG. It it does not stand for Motion Photography Experts Group. It was Moving Picture Experts Mm. Group. Just to clear up the confusion there.
1: MPEG versus JPEG. Mm-hmm. Well, you spelled it right, at least. <laughs> <are the> right <laughs> so what is JPEG again?
2: That was Joint Photographic Experts Group. And MPEG? Moving Picture Experts Group. Oh, that makes oh, sense. Right. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah. these experts groups are, yeah, put together by the standards organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Can you apply to be one of these experts?
2: That's a good question. <laughs> i make
1: mean, my own file <laughs> extensions. I think that they're a sort K-check, of uh, selective. Yeah. <laughs> <A K-check>. <laughs> <laughs> and so with my intro, I looked up a lot of words. Words that start with fl flippin flawless yeah. fledglings flabbergasted <laughs> so i found some really crazy sounding other fl words and i want to share with you guys because they sound old-timey and fantastic go Ooh. on do you guys know what a flannel mouth is and i, I think you can probably guess maybe like because they're flannel old-timey. mouth. yeah if like, i call you a flannel mouth isn't a flannel <laughs> like a washcloth or something? I don't
2: know. I, don't know. I, don't know. I give up. Well,
1: I it know. is a person whose speech is thick, slow, or halting. Oh, oh okay. okay. So, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. Yeah. Like having the cloth in your mouth. Sure. Yeah. Here's another one. What is flapdoodle? Oh, I <laughs> yeah. love it. I don't uh, know,
4: it, but it, I enjoy it. it, it, it bologna? Like yeah, I'm going to say bunch non- yes. nonsense. Okay. Bunch yeah. of flapdoodle. Nonsense. Hog- yes. Hogwash. Okay. Yes, exactly.
3: Oh, I thought you were pointing at it and saying yes to meat. It's baloney meat. It's a <laughs> oh, flapdoodle. <laughs> yes. Do you want a flapdoodle sandwich? What part yes.
2: of pig does the flapdoodle come from? I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs>
1: flapdoodle means nonsense or foolish talk. Ah, okay. Mm, okay. And lastly, here's another one. Fliberty
3: gibbet. Fliberty gibbet.
0: A, it's a, a
3: very a... Zoe Deschanel kind of word.
0: Is
4: it a, <laughs> well, is it a person who, uh, yeah. who talks a lot or a flighty person? Or is person, it like or? thingamajig? You
3: are very
1: good, Chris. <laughs> what is it? it is a, a very chatty or flighty like, oh, okay. person. Mm. Or in olden days, it's also referred to as like gossip. So there we go: flannel mouth, flapdoodle, and flibberty gibbet. <laughs> So, time for our general trivia segment. Pop quiz, hotshot. And here I have a random Trivial Pursuit card, and you guys have your barnyard buzzers, so let's start answering some questions. (laughs) Blue Wedge Geography. How many letters are in the Hawaiian alphabet? And multiple choice. (laughs) Colin (laughs) just knows.
2: I think it's 12. Correct. The
1: choices were 12, 17, or 28, and it is 12. Mm. Pink wedge for pop culture. What common breakfast item was Alfred Hitchcock said to be afraid of?
4: Weird. (laughs) Weird. Afraid of What he was afraid of a common breakfast item? Sausage?
2: No.
1: I don't know.
4: Honey bunches of oats.
1: <laughs> <laughs> eggs. Honey, honey bunches of oats, folks. What is it? It is eggs. eggs. Davis.
4: Oh. right. Oh. I was like, because
3: of
1: birds? I don't know. I went oh. into feeling... Like... <laughs> I thought about oh. that. That just seemed to... It's weird. I don't know. The first answer that jumped in my
3: head was croissant. I don't know. Because yeah, <laughs> it looks like a gun. Looks like at least duv- he understood double, yeah. what
4: other people were afraid of, and that it wasn't what he was afraid. <laughs> That's true. Of. And That's like more to the point, all yeah. of his movies weren't just like shots of eggs and various <laughs> the various sequel poses. to Birds or the sequel.
1: Yeah. All right, Yellow Wedge. What former White House employee did John Goodman
4: impersonate
1: on SNL? Saturday Night Live, <laughs> after she surreptitiously taped phone calls with Monica Lewinsky, Chris Kohler.
4: Um, I believe that was Linda Tripp. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very. Not a flattering person.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, nor was
2: it meant to be. Yeah.
1: So, purple Wedge, what does the Latin phrase Tempus Fugit mean? Time flies. Yes. Very good. Green wedge for science. What mineral do bananas have in abundance?
2: <laughs> Colin. Uh, potassium? Correct.
1: Mm-hmm. Potassium. And lastly, orange wedge. By what name are coriander leaves more commonly known? And uh, we had this we at totally trivia had trivia before. We got it wrong. Cilantro.
3: Yes. yes. Cilantro.
1: Cilantro yeah. and coriander, same plant. Good job, everybody. Let's jump into today's episode. And in previous shows, we talked a lot about food Mm -hmm. in more than one episode. Yeah, many episodes, almost every episode. Of course, we've had a lot of music segments as well, and we tackled the subject of sight and colors earlier. Mm -hmm. So this week, we're going to dedicate today's episode to one of our most interesting uh, face organs, and that is the (laughs) the nose. Yes, and the (laughs) wondrous sense of smell. We're
4: living life at the speed of smell.
2: I like the term face organ. Yeah, me too.
4: (laughs) So smell and the way that humans perceive smell and what smell does when it hits your brain is really, really fascinating. Oh, yeah. You all know this. Like, you get the whiff of some smell and instantly transport you back to some memory. Mm-hmm. And you'll immediately yeah. start thinking of it. Uh, For example, my fiance Regina just got her car cleaned. And the first time I got into the car, and they do the car and the inside and out. And the first time I got into the car, the air freshener that they had used was like, whoa, what is that smell? Well, like there's something it. specific going on here. Um, and I, I just had to sit there and think about it think about it think about it not I'm not like getting it. out of the car until I, remember, it. until I <laughs> I, I remember honey until I realized that it was it's the scent that they use on like coach buses probably the first time I ever rode a coach bus like you mm-hmm. know riding a bus from Connecticut to, to New York you know on a school field trip or whatever in a fancy wow. fancy bus like that must have been the air freshener they use because it was oh that's exactly what that smells like to me we have a candle right now this Christmas candle we're burning it in the house and it smells like nothing to me but the inside of the It's a Small World ride at Disney. <laughs> wow! Like that is exactly what it smells like to me.
2: It's not just that these are such deep associations, but they can be the hardest to break. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like oh, it's you're not- never gonna start thinking of that smell as the candle smell. So so here's the thing. <laughs> so I'm um,
4: I start wondering about this. Like what is it about us smelling things that, that causes this. Why is it so hard to break? As it turns out, a lot of this has to do with the brain, which scientists don't fully understand, so there's a whole lot of, like, theories that are out there about why this happens. So here's some of the predominant kind of theories right now. When we hear things or when we see things, what happens is we, we perceive them as waves, right, as either light waves or sound waves, and then those waves go to our thalamus in our brain, and from there they're routed to the parts of the brain that figure out what Mm. that is. Apparently, there is no middleman with sense. Mm. Um, It goes from the receptors in your nose straight back to the olfactory region in your brain. It has a lot of links. To the hippocampus, the amygdala—in other words, like the pleasure center of the brain—the things that, because it's so closely linked to that, it immediately creates this sort of this link up in your brain to these things so fast, uh, because it's going just immediately, directly nose right to the brain and right linked up the the pleasure pain flight or fight real like primitive kind of stuff that's going on there subconsciously you're thinking about it before you even realize that you're thinking about it that's why smells can sometimes put you in a good mood even if you're not consciously thinking about being in a good mood the hippocampus pretty much believe that it's about like forming memories and so very quickly the olfactory senses is very just linked up with associations
1: really the sense of smell since a living creature has existed mm-hmm. kind of acts as some sort of Alert system. It's an alarm. It's it's to tell you, hey, this smells bad. I shouldn't put this in my body. Mm -hmm. I should not eat it. A lot of warning signals. Whoa,
4: that's rotten. Don't eat it. Whoa. There's a fire. I have to get out. Right? right. Like, that's you. Or the scent of a predator. Or 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 the scent of someone that you want to meet with. Exactly. So that, it's, it just immediately, it's supposed to create a really fast subconscious response of, whoa, we can smell, as it turns out, about 10,000 different smells. And the way that it works is really, really crazy. We have, I think, about a thousand, they figure, different receptors up in the nose area. Okay. So what is a smell?
2: They're molecules. They're molecules. Right. They're right. pieces they of need the to, thing. they need to attach to the receptors. They do. Yeah. So they re-
4: attach to the receptors, and it's basically like we can make any word in the English language with 26 letters. They attach to different receptors. And so you only have a 1,000 receptors, but in that is so many different combinations mm. that yeah. basically those receptors just grab onto the molecules, and depending on what receptors grab onto them, that's the smell that you smell. Now, also back there, there's things that are sensitive to pain. So if you smell something that's caustic, like if you smell ammonia, oh, something that it burns. would really hurt you to keep inhaling. You got some pain receptors back there that tell you, hey, whoa, whoa, really get away from this because this is going to be painful for you. Have you ever noticed we don't have names for smells? Like we have names for every color in the book. We have names for sounds, but we don't have names for smells.
2: Yeah, well, we, they're named after the, the you know, thing. The thing that, that it smells like, like new car. This smells, smells like, like pizza, cookie dough. exactly. Right, but right. there's
4: no word that means it is as if we called red apple. You know, oh, this is apple oh, color, I see. which we do sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's orange, like, right, yeah. orange. Yeah. Like sometimes there is that crossover, but we don't really name it because we don't have to. We yeah. don't have to describe what something smells like. It's just instinctual. It's like, oh man, this smells good or this smells bad and I am going to react yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, we're not born with this catalog of smells in our head, um, as it turns out the first time that we smell a new smell, our brain links it up. That's why all of these connections between the memories, you know, it links it up to what we're doing at the time. Uh And so when we smell something and it's like, oh my God, this scent is exactly like my grandmother's cookies uh, when I was five years old. You're not nostalgic thinking back on an older, you know, a happier time in your life. Your brain has linked those two things together to tell you this is what this smell is. And that's how you categorize uh, smells. Uh Actually, your brain links them back to those memories. That's the cataloging system. It's not anything special about childhood. It's just the first time you ever smelled that smell. There's this idea that animals are way better at us at smelling. And, you know, to an extent, that can be true. But actually, we're really good at it. We just don't use it. And when they've done studies where they actually blindfold people and have them track scents, you know, like bloodhounds, people get better at it. They're actually pretty good at it. And then that if, makes they, sense. if they repeat yeah. it, they actually get a lot better. Yeah, as
2: you say, it's you mm-hmm. know just the way we live our lives. That our, sounds we like don't a, need it as much. That
3: sounds cool. Yeah, let's do...
2: Let's let's do train let's train up. Like <laughs> a superpower, right? We need
3: bloodhounds. <laughs> yeah, that
2: would be fun. So do you guys know what smell-alikes are? Smell alike, like not a look alike, <laughs> but a smell alike. The smell alikes is sort of the the industry term for imitation perfumes oh, and mm-hmm. knockoff scents. You know, so that's
1: such a more diplomatic <laughs> word yeah. than knockoff, off <laughs> <Knock-off> perfume. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah, where you see the box and it says Chanel, and then you get really closer and it says like. Compare to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is
2: channel number 7 <laughs> <laughs> so close, but...
1: Inspired by.
2: You know, they're the cheap discount things. And a lot of them mm-hmm. will get in trouble sometimes for packaging looking too close to what they're imitating or e- marketing too similar to the original product. But, but that's one th- just by
1: look, right? That's, that's just like by the logo.
2: One thing they cannot get in trouble for is the smell huh. because you cannot trademark a scent. Hmm. No. It's really, really fascinating. When you talk about smells, you start getting into an area of what they call non-conventional trademarks. So, you know, we all know conventional trademarks. Like, I can't come out with my own computer line and put an Apple logo on it. You right. know, Apple owns that. Yeah. So you get into some that are non-conventional, like sounds, you know. So, for example, uh, like the NBC chime, you know, bing, bing, bing. Uh-huh. That's trademarkable, but okay. it's it's not a visual experience. You know, we tend to think most trademarks are visual. You can do shapes. Toblerone has a trademark on triangular Mm. Okay. So, you know, they, awesome. they offer protection to things that aren't necessarily in the formula, but how it's presented.
4: Right. Another good Something one that means... is not endemic to the thing itself. Exactly. You don't have to make I've chocolate I've got a trademark like
3: Pentagon. Chocolate <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, yes. what if you had a pentagonal chocolate and then you divided it into tri- triangles? <laughs> is that trademark? a trademark? <laughs> anyway, Pentab,
2: Pentablerone. I,
3: I was going down a nerdy road yeah, by myself. I was like, like how I'm, can I get away from Can I this can get around this? But no, Chris
2: actually hit Pretty much on the on the distinction is it's it's not something that's characteristic or functional and they have a distinction between functional and non-functional. Just another example of something that's uh, sort of a little weird is like color. So you guys know uh, at least here in the U.S. there are the Fiskars scissors. They have the orange handles. Oh, yeah. They're allowed to make that and other scissor companies are not allowed to have orange handles oh. because they Fiskars can establish okay. this is really closely tied to us. All this right. is our look. Yeah. So now it seems like like a perfume is nothing but a scent. How could I not say that this scent is tied to what I do mm-hmm. And so that's where trademark law gets into non-functional. So the orange handle on the scissors has nothing to do with the function. The shape of the tablerone has nothing to do with the composition of the chocolate. And the smell of a perfume is functional.
1: That is the brand.
2: That is oh, the brand. That's the formula. And, yeah. They so they
3: go after you for the box but not they the They can smell. go after you for things okay. like that.
2: So it's really interesting. And so perfume companies have tried to go to court around the world and time and again it comes down to a few things. Like one of the problem is it's really hard to objectively document a scent. You know mm. what I mean? Like you can't submit a drawing or a diagram or a schematic. Right. Mm-hmm. So getting down to all right, what is the scent of Chanel Number no. Five, or how do you how do you describe this in a way that can be objectively defended is mm-hmm. is really tough. Yeah. So there are some scents that are allowed to be trademarked. So I'll give you an example of non-functional scents that have been allowed to go through. Okay. So uh, there's a sewing thread uh, that was awarded a trademark for scenting all of the thread like plumeria blossoms. Uh, in the U- in the UK, there was a tennis ball manufacturer was awarded protection for the smell of fresh cut grass mm-hmm. with the tennis balls. Oh, right. Because it's not Functional to the purpose of the tennis ball or the thread, that it smell like a particular thing.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, but a perfume is just a smell. Yeah, it is a smell. That's, that's right. And it's not. That's it's right. not scenting something else. A trademark is not a right. It's a. It's a privilege. The government setting something up that's just like, okay, we're gonna protect certain things that other that are not protectable via copyright, so that people can run a business and advertise their business and prove to customers that like this is our product. Right. Well right? put. Well put. And, and not have competitors come in and fool people into thinking yes. that they're buying somebody. Else's problem. The
2: other term Mm -hmm. they use in legal, you know, yeah, trademark is a shield, not a sword. It's to protect you, not to attack other people. There we go.
1: I know that in the world, there are probably, I think, I believe, seven main companies, Mm -hmm. and they're dedicated to like very very lucrative and very top secret companies Uh that would churn out scents for almost everything that is made in the world. Mm -hmm. That includes perfumes, that includes Tide detergent, Uh that includes, you know, any cleaning products or or books or anything. And all the people who are working there are very advanced chemists, biochemists, biophysicists trying to come up every year with a new molecule you know, hoping that molecules will generate a new scent. Yeah, and or, analyzing, or
2: analyzing things and figuring out, all right, what is it that makes, you know, for example, cut grass, smell like cut grass, mm-hmm. right? And
1: it's it's a fascinating industry.
2: Well, so you're hitting something here. I mean, I should mention that, you know, you might be thinking, well, can't you, can't you trademark the yeah. composition? And in fact, so you can. Mm-hmm. So this is where it gets even further muddied is I can trademark or, or get a copyright really patent on the composition of a perfume, mm-hmm. but not the effect it produces. Right. <laughs> (laughs) So there was actually a case where a perfume maker took an imitator to court, and they did essentially a a gas chromatograph spectrometer – I might be mixing up the wrong term Mm – analysis of the chemicals, and they found that the infringer was using 24 out of 25 compounds in common. And that is where you start getting into trouble. Now, they did have it slightly different. But cannot copy so, someone's formula, mm-hmm. but you can
4: copy the result, like Coca Cola,
1: right? Coca-Cola, right? And then, you can yeah. make a bunch of things that kind of taste like
2: Coke. Yeah, that's but a good example. Right. With taste and you can't copy their smell. actual
4: formula. Now, then again, if you were to go to court to start defending this formula, you'd have to take the formula that's and enter it right. into the public record, that's so right. it's no longer a secret formula no. anymore. Would know about it, and then the problem is you might even win the judgment, but then everybody would know your formula. So now you're hunting down perfect imitators yep. constantly because and if you hunt in one country, they're all popping up in another country, so it's better to just keep the secret secret. Yep. which is why they would have trouble going to court and arguing about the scent without being able to say, "Well, this is the exact composition," because then it's a matter of public record. Yep. Yeah, I mean, with with like copyright law, you cannot go in and say, "Oh, well, yes, ninety nine percent of this work is similar; it's the same as this other guy's, but see, I changed this one letter." Yep. It's not. It, it doesn't work that way. So if it's twenty four out of twenty five, then what would be interesting is you'd have expert witnesses come in to say. We can recreate this scent using different compounds, which those, right? Which they
2: would absolutely be allowed to do, right? Absolutely, right. And And have the resources to sure. And that would be very. That would be.
4: That would be really bad evidence against the smell alike people because they'd be like, okay, well, if you can recreate this smell with all these different compounds, why did you use the exact (laughs) ones from this other guy's thing? Yeah.
1: So speaking of perfume, makeup, and composition, I want to share some unusual perfume ingredients derived from nature, or once was derived from nature. I thought it was very interesting. And obviously, nowadays, a lot of this stuff is synthesized, mostly because it's probably a little bit cheaper, or maybe the raw materials from what they used to gather aren't there anymore, Mm. or... Or whatnot. This wouldn't be an episode of Good Job Brain if I didn't talk about a common recurring theme, which is uh, animal secretions. So, of course, musk. We always hear about musk Mm
2: -hmm. and uh,
1: Mm. we hear about perfumes and colognes having a musk smell. In language, you know, we describe any kind of carnal or or manly or natural scent as musk. But what exactly is musk? Let's start Uh, with the word. What does musk mean? Do we know?
2: Oh, you mean the etymology of the word? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. That's a good one.
1: Musk comes from a Sanskrit word. Actually, it just means testicle. Oh, okay. uh, traditionally, back in the old days, musk was obtained from male deers. Right, like a gland. Mm-hmm. So people would harvest the substance from the musk deer gland and would tincture and dilute it with alcohol. The odor starts to become more pleasant, but it takes a lot of super dilution for that musky wow. smell to come out again this on is one of those more. times
2: where I'm like who was the first one to think <laughs> yeah. you know what I bet mm. would be good
3: <laughs> this cheer. Stay deer stay with me here yeah. there yeah. was a moment this, where this his balls this smells, smells so, so good, good. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: No other natural substance in the world has such a complex aroma. Huh. It is usually described as animalistic or earthy or woody or very, you know, nature-y. And, and throughout history, other animals have been used for musk as well. So like muskrats, right? The <laughs> name is funnier now. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and also uh, musk ducks.
2: Musk ducks. Huh. Mus- mus-
4: musk mus- ducks. Mus- musk Whoa. ducks. Musk ducks.
1: But of course, obtaining natural musk is very expensive and also not very nice.
4: Yeah, uh, well, I was just going to say. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Nowadays, musk trading is heavily regulated and also illegal in some parts of the world because it's basically poaching. You so, know. Th- I mean, there must be a lot oh, of synthetics
2: sure, yeah. now, right? Yeah.
1: So, so white musk is a synthetic compound that is used now. And, you know, mm. I, I, I think I prefer the, the chemical substance more so than the real. Actual. Now that you know what it have, is. have you, yeah. Have yeah, you okay. smelled
3: the real stuff
1: though? No. I'm curious. I'm I am curious. Kind of curious too. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Field trip. Let's not
2: do it ourselves. How about that? I thought can we find we, someone else can we we, this one? <laughs> <laughs> we
4: have some Kickstarter fun. So. <laughs> no, I know a good kick-start. deer guy. Yes. Let's kickstart
1: finding musk. Some musk, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so another ingredient is called hyracium and it's also known as Africa stone. Hmm. And hyracium is the fossilized pee and poo of the rock hyrax. And rock hyrax is a very, very cute animal that lives in southern Africa. And it looks kind of like a, you know, a... Capybara, yeah. like a giant rat, in a fat corgi body. That's what it looks like. <laughs> they have really short legs, and they're kind of fat, um, and they're very cute. So hyracium is harvested from the ground, because they would just pee and poo on the ground, and then you can go dig it up. So this actually doesn't harm the animal at all, mm. right? You don't have to cut off anything. Physically. Or, no.
4: Emotionally, if they <laughs> see you do it, they're going to be a yeah. little messed up. They'd be
1: like, like wait a minute. <laughs> And the smell is described as being very complex and animalistic, heady and smoky, kind of like musk and tobacco. Hmm. Uh, Funnily enough, some of these other traditionally used perfume ingredients kind of read like a good job brain greatest hits of animal cameos. (laughs) (laughs) Ambergris. I've talked about ambergris before, which is the... Fatty intestinal secretion from sperm whales. They're mm-hmm. lipid and, and, and they look
4: gross. And great on toast. <laughs>
1: yes, very buttery, very fatty, very rare and hard to find because they, they float in oceans and it takes them, God, years and years for it to oxidize and, and actually reach to a state where you actually want to use it. <coughs> and, of course, the civet. Do we remember the Oh, yeah, yeah the, the, coffee, the coffee beans. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The world's most expensive coffee is made by having these civets, like these raccoon animals, eat mm-hmm. the coffee berries and then poop it out. So it turns out the civet also has... Glands in their nether region that used to be harvested for hmm. for musky smell. Wow, that is what? like the
2: Swiss the I <laughs> is yeah. a Swiss Army knife <laughs> of animals. Its butt
3: Swiss Army knife of animals.
1: And finally, of course, here we are again. The beaver, oh, this noble and humble creature, uh, shows up yet again for its uh, famed genitals. Uh, <laughs> Castorian, the substance from the beaver's castor sacs in its butt area, mm. uh, was also quite the popular ingredient in perfumes.
3: So ice cream and perfume,
1: (laughs) everything. It's just it's strange that like I'm reading this and I was like, wait a minute, I've talked about all of these
2: animals before. It's like some sort of like weird reverse. I mean, animal alchemy, where only just the most foul substances can be turned into these great smelling things things that people enjoy eating and
4: or putting on their body.
1: You know, but I want to say like, sure, I'm always talking about gross stuff, but I think. In this case, it isn't really an accident that all of these perfume ingredients come from sprays or secretions Mm. from animals. I mean, smell has always been heavily uh, intertwined with, like, hormones and and mating and animal and ritual behavior so it's not like oh I'm just taking raw pee or poo from hyrax. like (laughs) it has to oxidize. Well it also makes
2: sense that these are all things that have that are really concentrated Mm -hmm. you know so like a little can be made into a tincture and go a long way yep
1: and very complex in terms of like the chemical structure right with all these different uh, things going on organic chemistry behind all of these things is just so complex and of course you know so is the sense of smell so yeah there we go
3: Greatest hits list. Wow.
4: So. Our favorite animals. <laughs> Our favorite animals
1: together.
3: So I have a quiz. It's about celebrity perfumes. Oh. This comes up in trivia for us from time to time. Actually it does. Yeah. And we very often yeah. never know to notice what the names are. All right. Well it seems like there are so. more
2: and more of these these days too.
3: Get ready. Oh,
1: okay. Let's All do right. this. It's gonna be embarrassing. It won't be.
3: I, I, I put I put some clues in the questions for okay. you guys. Okay. What singing husband wife duo released a perfume called soul to soul Ooh.
4: singing husband-wife duo i can tina turner <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> uh, it has gotta be
2: more recent. i can't be like yeah. sunny and oh. thin,
4: right? there, you wanna
3: you wanna hit oh. Uh,
2: oh. oh whoa she got it let's see
3: tim mcgraw yes and oh. uh, faith hill yes yes
2: wow <laughs> so is it like a his and hers like a cologne and a perfume yes
3: What rapper and TV personality released Pink Friday, a fragrance that contains scents of Wazenberry, Lotus, Italian, Mandarin, Starfruit, and Vanilla?
2: Is it Nicki Minaj?
3: It is. Oh, what is it called? Pink Friday.
1: Pink Friday, oh.
3: What pop star released six perfumes, including Glow, Still, Deseo, Love, (laughs) Glamour, and Someday? Jennifer Lopez. Yes.
2: Oh my Lo- God. She has six perfumes. Pick a smell. Pick a smell. I think.
1: <laughs> I think. Other than Elizabeth Taylor, I mean Jennifer Lopez kind of revived current celebrity uh, scent trend. Mm.
3: What hip hop mogul released Unforgivable, a cologne that features Sicilian lemon, bergamot, and champagne. <laughs>
2: Is that uh, Sean Combs, slash P. Diddy, slash Puffy, slash Puffy, Puffy. what was it, Unforgivable? Unforgivable,
3: (laughs) which I think is the most hilarious (laughs) name for a smell. (laughs) You smell Unforgivable. (laughs) Uh, What socialite released eight perfumes, including Eris, Fairy Dust, and Siren? Paris Hilton. Yeah, uh, What pop star released two fragrances, including Meow and Purr? Oh. And you might get this if you also know the name of her cat, and I want to know the name of her cat. <laughs> Katy Perry. Yeah. Oh, we and had her, I know her cat's
2: name. What's her? Isn't her cat's name Kitty Perry? Yes.
3: <laughs> why do you know that? I don't know oh, why I, I know. so it. I wish know. I could use those brain cells <laughs> for something else. This American Idol winner released a fragrance called Because of You, which is interesting because another American Idol winner had that as a hit song.
4: <laughs> Bo Bice.
3: No. Uh, American you know Idol I, yeah. winner. So her, she released a perfume. Oh, it's a she. I'll give you a hint. Jordan she? Sparks. Yes. Oh. And, uh, Kelly Clarkson released a song also called Because, because of, of You. you. Huh. Uh, what pop star has a whopping 11 perfumes, including Believe, Curious Heart, and and circus fantasy and if you're curious what a circus fantasy smells like <laughs> it's raspberry apricot blossom peony lotus orchid <laughs> vanilla musk and candy <laughs> That's a circus fantasy. Britney Spears. It's Britney Spears. What does it smell like? Popcorn? popcorn That's what I I thought. Like crying children, clowns. (laughs) This is
2: her circus fantasy.
3: Elephant poop. Just fruit and candy. Hey. Yeah, it does smell like poo. Despair. (laughs) Despair. (laughs) What actress who was recently portrayed by Lindsay Lohan had released <laughs> her signature perfume in nineteen ninety one? The actress's oh. name Oh you're yeah, Colin. Sorry. Actress's name and the name of her perfume.
2: Oh, okay. So it was Oh uh, a, I know. It was Elizabeth Taylor. Uh-huh. And was it Violet? Violets? No, no. Oh, White, Diamond. yes. ah. oh. White Diamonds.
3: White diamonds. <laughs>
1: White diamonds. Let's take a quick break. A word from our sponsors.
0: Welcome back to Good Job Brain. Let's jump back into some nose knowledge.
2: (laughs) Talking about perfumes a good example that smells are obviously big business. Yes. And another area where smells were worked into business plans was in the movies. Of course. You know, we've talked in the past about a lot of the gimmicks that sort of came along in the 50s, 60s. We talked about 3D. We've talked about Cinerama. One of my personal favorites, and just most absurd, is introduction of smells in movies. (laughs) There are really sort of the two biggest names in this world were Smellovision mm-hmm. and Aromarama. Rama
1: when you watch cooking shows you're yeah. like oh don't you wish you have smell vision I was like oh ha, yes ha, ha. yes exactly.
2: emerald you know talks That's of, actually, yes. that was actually that was a, thing. a thing I always thought that it was just sort of one of these really gimmicky uh, theater tricks but it does sort of have a little bit more of a dignified history the more I looked into it some theaters even as far back as the 20s 30s 40s would sort of take it upon themselves to introduce aromas into performances sometimes you know hmm. so you might have personal Perfume or an outdoorsy scent for a lavish production, but this was really low-tech and kind of done in a, in a sort of ham-fisted way, and it, one of the biggest problems was you'd bring perfume in a theater and then it can take hours for the smell to clear, you know? <laughs> I read that uh, Walt Disney apparently toyed with the idea of having scents as part of Fantasia, uh, you know, so this obviously was oh, really before the Donna TV of my even. favorite. Mm-hmm. And you can see, like, you know, just him trying to think, all right, how can I make this just the most amazing multi-sensory experience possible? Yeah. Uh, I guess he eventually... It. it. was just too complicated. So in 1960, uh, there was a film release called Scent of Mystery. <laughs> <And> <laughs>
4: really laid on. Yes,
2: exactly.
3: And this was the first. So, the, so this was high concept. <laughs> <Is it?
2: laughs> and so Scent of Mystery has the distinction of being the first and last movie to be produced <laughs> with the smell-o-vision process. <laughs> Uh, there was a producer uh, named Mike Todd Jr. and he sort of hit on the idea of bringing in the novelty of odors into movies. So he basically adopted a process that had already existed called Centovision mm-hmm. and he renamed it Smell-O-Vision. <laughs> you yeah. can see it, he just the great crazy leap he was taking here. <laughs> so he renamed it smell and developed a movie around it to sort of show off this technology. Oh. No, which I think is the That's way to good. do it's it. It's like a tech demo. So the process is pretty amazing. So the, imagine like a belt, sort of a loop belt that has little containers of vials of perfumes on them and various odors and they're really concentrated. And so what the technology did is there were cues on the film and when you would reach certain points in the movie, it would trigger, the capsule would be pierced, and it would pipe the aroma through fan-powered vents under each Oh, seat. so or, it's
1: kind of automated.
2: It's, it was automated. And synced. And it was synced to the movie, right, exactly, like the sound. And Indeed. they used them to sort of cue elements of the story. So as I say, it was called Scent of Mystery, and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek sort of comedy mystery caper. The villain might have the smell of tobacco associated with him, or the femme fatale, you smell her perfume. And I guess just using them to sort of, as you're watching, try and figure out clues to the mystery that's unraveling that's before you. That's
1: kind of interesting, actually.
3: That could
2: be a fun game.
1: Yeah, like like a whodunit, but you're
2: just smelling things. And those are clues. Right, 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 exactly. So as you're watching it, it's another element that isn't shown on screen. They had 30 different scents in the movie, you know, everything from roses to bread to wine, uh, train smoke, all these kind of things.
3: What did the people say about Scent of Mystery? Do they like it, even though...
2: So, it's funny. There was an article, a review from Variety at the time that I was reading about. Uh, They said there were a few problems. It was sort of hard to control the spread. Like they said, some people who were up in the balconies, maybe not near one of the vents, they wouldn't catch the odor until a few seconds after it had passed on screen. The biggest problem, honestly, Mm -hmm. was it was outrageously expensive to retrofit a theater for this whole system. You know, up to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And
1: to plan and produce all these little capsules and these belts right, to sync right. with the
2: moon. Yeah, and to have them feel natural. You know, people said that some of the scents were a lot more believable than others and some just smelled fake as you know you said you can't always get everything perfectly. Mm. And so a uh, cult director, John Waters, you know, who's done films like Hairspray and others, uh, when he came out with his uh, film Polyester in 1982, he wanted to sort of bring back some of this idea. And he did it in a clever way. So he invented what he called Odorama, which was basically <laughs> a set of scratch and sniff cards that they would hand oh. out to you as you were going into the theater. And they were numbered. And that uh. would cue <laughs> into what was going on in the movie. And, and they've had some similar experiments over the years. It's uh, just
1: hard to have it be believable the best example of smelling experiences probably there's a Disney ride called soaring over California or just soaring on the ride you're pretending you're like on a hand glider and you're gliding through the different landscapes of California and so of course when you're in the forest it smells like the forest mm. and when you're at like the orange groves it smells like orange and the context is you're flying around and there's wind against your face and you can smell you know the wind but it's not I'm not just sitting there right you're like oh I smell Bread,
2: And they could also <laughs> cover it a little bit more with the wind. It doesn't yeah, seem so yeah. weird that it's blowing at you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> and actually, so the Disney Imagineer who came up with the idea at Disney of, of having scents on rides, very quickly after that actually left Disney, found scent air, which is... The big dog in the big business of pumping artificial scents into places right, right. Uh, to make you feel certain things. So I got to tell you, smellovision vision may have been a catastrophic failure, but believe you me, taking synthetic smells and pumping them through vents, you are being hit with this every day, oh, yeah. whether you know it or not. And it is big, yeah. big business and a big deal. It's Like it's- breeze. No, 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 I mean like, like the actual sense of things in retail stores. Right. Um, you, you might be thinking you're smelling the products. Like you might be in a clothing store and smelling, oh, oh, such fresh, clean clothing. No, it's the scent of crisp linens that's being pumped through the air vents in the store to make you smell that and make you Feel like, oh, I love the scent of clean clothing. Right. They're faking it. Oh. And, it's, and, and importantly, it's not just about, let's just take a nice scent and put a nice scent in the air. Uh, one study I read, again, showed that they would take Christmas scents and put it into a store. If they were also playing Christmas music people had a positive reaction to the scent. They're just manipulating people. Right, but if there was no Christmas music, (laughs) then the scent wasn't tied to anything and people found it cloying or annoying and actually disliked it funny so the scent has got to be connected to contextual like what you were saying
1: before because you make that association when you first smell something yep and it has nothing to attach to you're like wait this doesn't make sense. why is
4: this smell in here so the business that has long understood this even if they really didn't quite nail it down were real estate agents right because they would have you would have cookies Baking in a home. Yeah, I've always heard that people. that
2: trick of like you bake, you put the cookies in the oven, and yeah. Then it- or you
4: have a pie cooling on the windowsill or whatever, but yeah, you put the cookies in the oven. And so when people come into the home, they smell the fresh aroma of baking cookies throughout the home and that makes them feel very nostalgic and they want Cozy. and they yeah. want to spend a it's bunch home-y. of money to buy this home. Because yeah, yeah. you know, what are they in the market for? But Man, you know,
1: people are dumb. Well, I mean again <laughs> it's they're just it's, you they even cookies.
4: you don't even think about it. And so again, they've moved on from you can't just like buy cookies every time you show a home. Right. So now they just sent the home the like cookie, cookie spray. So, Another example. Um, (laughs) So cynical. So when you go into Hard Rock Hotel in Orlando, Florida, there is actually an ice cream and cookie shop uh, in the lobby of the hotel. Or it's actually down a flight of stairs. So as soon as you come in, you are hit with the smell of the warm, fresh baking cookies. If you go down the stairs towards the bottom of the stairs, you start smelling waffle cones. Mm -hmm. And then you're in front of the ice cream and cookie shop. Those scents are fake. It's they're not, not from the shop. They're not from the shop. It's yeah. not the they are not baking cookies and even pumping the baking cookie scent up into the lobby. It's just fake synthetic baking cookies. It's cookie yeah, so they smell. always have a
2: baseline smell. Yes. And they
4: call this specific thing an aroma billboard. They are advertising an <laughs> wow, actual product yeah, that you can cool. actually buy by putting the scent of the product into the air. Yeah. Also, if you go into the lobby of this hotel, it's um ocean scent. So that's not the ocean, the Florida ocean, that you're smelling in the lobby. It's fake ocean, even though the ocean is right out the door. They call what it. What they a world we live in. Yeah. This
1: is <laughs> so, <laughs> so cynical. Another
4: fascinating example. So Bloomingdale's, in a big Bloomingdale's department store, depending on where you are in the store, they will put different smells in there. If you are in the infant department, Baby powder. Yeah. That's not because there's all the babies in there. It's fake smell of baby powder in okay. the infant department. If you go into the intimate apparel department, it's lilac. If you go into the swimsuit department, what does it smell like? Chlorine. No. Oh, <laughs> good guess. Ocean. The beach. The ocean. Coconut. Oh, okay. Coconut. Sandation. Sandation. Also, the, the scent they use in Mandalay Bay Casino. They just pump coconut smell throughout the yeah. whole thing. Some like- will go even further. They will create their own Signature scent. Mm. So when you go into Hugo Boss, you smell this sort of like a woody, kind of outdoorsy, cedary kind of smell. That is the Hugo Boss signature scent that was created for them by this company, Scent Air. And they will work with you. You pay them a whole buttload of money. And then they will actually create a a scent that smells like nothing else. So what happens? It People associate that particular smell only... With Hugo Boss. Singapore Airlines created a signature scent. When you get a hot Mm -hmm. towel on Singapore Airlines, it is scented with a smell that you only smell on a Singapore Airlines aircraft.
1: Now now that this is in my mind, in my head now, I'm going to every store and smelling to see if, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the Apple store smelling? (laughs) They put a a fake scent in there and it just smells like clean
4: Yeah, Smells like nerds. And it gets (laughs) you (laughs) there. So... There's still a lot of studying to be done on this, but apparently, this, this is where it gets really, really weird. When people smell the smell of apple, it makes them think the room they're in is larger than it really is.
2: What?
4: Conversely, when people smell barbecue smoke, uh-huh. they perceive the room as being smaller. <laughs> Interesting.
0: That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Man, while well, we talk about smelling a lot of things, uh, I want to talk about the lack of smelling, mm. uh, which is anosmia, the inability to perceive odors. And, mm. and some people are born without the sense of smell, mm-hmm. or it can be caused by trauma or an accident or a virus or anything that might Mm. kill your nerves, basically. We've talked about having sense connected with memories. A lot of people who suffer anosmia at the midpoints of their life, where they used to be able to. Like from a trauma or something. Yeah, they actually get really depressed because a lot of the things that they associate with, they can't experience anymore. But the main thing is eating or tasting foods is just completely different. And, and, you know, when we talk about taste, a lot of what we think the taste of food is is from smell because right. really mm-hmm. our our tongues can only perceive taste like six sensations, right? It was like salty, sweet, bitter, uh, umami, umami or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, you're chewing on a steak and you're like, well, it's salty and that's it.
4: Yeah. And it's also, I mean, again, you know, we go back to like evolutionary reasons, um, why, why smell is so impactful so immediately. When you have an osmia, you have to make absolutely sure all the time to write the expiration dates down on every piece of food yeah, that you buy in the, the house. You don't know. You have no idea. Got to make absolutely sure that you don't eat rotten food because right. the smell is what prevents you from eating rotten food. That's it. Well, it's the double
2: hit too. You can't smell it before you put it in your mouth and it you interferes with your it ability afterwards. to taste it afterward. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah.
1: Right. And of course, it's kind of dangerous because you can't smell rotten food, but you can't smell if you have a fire in your house right. or so, or right. a right. gas, gas leak. leak. I
2: mean, yeah. they add the yep. odorant to gas specifically for that reason. And I,
1: here I have a list of famous anosmic individuals huh. that you probably mm-hmm. didn't know. And this one blew my mind. Ben Cohen Ben Cohen of Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream <laughs> has anosmia. Huh. While they were setting up Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream in back in Vermont, he already had anosmia. It led to their distinctive style of ice cream formulas because to compensate for Ben Cohen's <laughs> anosmia, <laughs> they added you know, larger chunks of things to their ice cream to compensate but to satisfy yeah the texture of So it works food. on
2: multiple levels yeah, right yeah exactly. multiple sensory inputs So isn't that weird that That's really kind of one of idea. the
1: grandfathers of modern day ice cream cannot smell nor taste I, to a degree. And also uh, actor Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City. Huh. Bill Pullman, a lone star from Spaceballs oh. or, or ID4, uh, mm-hmm. also cannot smell. Huh. And uh, this I just confirmed this morning. Scott Kurtz, if you're a video game nerd and, and read webcomic, very famous. He wrote PvP, He actually was born with anosmia.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So there we go. That is our very nose-heavy episode. That was some good, amazing amazing stuff in there. And Colin, you have a last quiz segment for us?
2: I do indeed. Uh, we're going to go a little highbrow. This is a literature quiz. I'm going to read for you guys first lines of famous novels. Oh! Okay. And I'll even give you a little bit of a extra clue here. Every novel I read is going to be either a sci-fi dystopic future novel <laughs> okay. or a period romantic novel with strong female characters.
3: Guess which one's which. Is this Netflix or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is Netflix.
2: Based on yeah. your preference. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to read the first line. You tell me the novel. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Chris.
4: 1984. That is 1984
2: Mm -hmm. by George Orwell. Very famous romantic novel. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. I think that was Karen. Pride and Prejudice. Yes, correct. Yes. By Jane Austen. Jane Austen. Here we go. Next one. The sky above the port was the color of television, tuned to a dead channel. Oh, Karen. Karen.
1: Uh, Neuromancer.
2: Correct. William Gibson. Correct. Correct. Next one. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way.
3: Shoot. I know. Is it... It's Dostoevsky. Oh, you're, you're close. You're Shoot. in the right, right genre. Yeah? Yes,
2: yeah. yes. What is it? Aaron Karenina. Anna Karanina Karenina. by Tolstoy. Yes. Yeah. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. That's a great one. Yeah.
3: All
2: right, here we go. Next one. It was a pleasure to burn. Karen. Fahrenheit 451
1: May yes. Bradbury. Yes,
2: okay. correct and correct. Here we go. Next one. Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents, grumbled Joe, lying on the rug. Karen again. Little Women? <laughs> Indeed, no, Little Women by Louisa go. May Alcott. Yeah. We you jump the gun. We did. <laughs> oh, well, zing. I, I believe that you knew that one too, Chris. Yeah. Here we go. Getting a little trickier with these last couple here. All right. All this happened, more or less.
0: Oh, oh
2: God.
3: God. Oh. <laughs>
2: Karen. A Clockwork Orange? No. Karen.
1: Ulysses? James Joyce? No,
2: no. It's about a character unstuck in time. <laughs> oh.
4: Chris. Slaughterhouse-Five. Correct. Yeah. Slaughterhouse-Five.
2: <laughs> That's right. Kurt Vonnegut. All right, last one. Here we go. 1801. I have just returned from a visit to my landlord, the solitary neighbor that I shall be troubled with. Karen. Uh,
1: Jane Eyre.
2: Close. Uh, Wuthering Wuthering Heights. Heights. Yes. Ah. (laughs) Close familially. Yes. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Ah. Well, good job, guys. Wow. You guys knocked that one out. Especially Karen. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, well done. That was my uh, (laughs) half sci fi dystopian. You are, Karen. You're You're (laughs) the (laughs) protagonist.
3: That's very specific.
1: all right great and that was our show thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys listeners for listening in hope you learn a lot about smells and manipulation which is (laughs) insane uh smelling in theaters celebrity fragrances and of course animal secretions very important to me You can find us on Zoom Marketplace, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and also on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And check out our sponsors at bonobos.com, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.
2: Bye.
4: Peace.